Okay, all the songs we sang this morning were about God. They were all about uh, God's power, who God is. Uh, I think that the, perhaps the most important question that we can ask in our lives is, does God exist? That this is the question upon which all other questions hinge. This idea, this question of God's existence, does God exist? Is there a God? Is there a God who can be known? Uh, is there a God? And what kind of difference does that make in my life? What kind of difference? How do I live knowing that there is a God? Um, I think that this is a question that has far-reaching implications, and we must be prepared for the answer. And not just prepared for the answer, does God exist, but what is the meaning of God's existence? What does that mean for my life? How am I supposed to live knowing that there is a God who made me and knowing that there is a God who created me and there is a God who has expectations of me because he is my father, because he is my creator? Decline, there's been a decline in the belief in God in America over the last seven decades. If you go back to the 1940s, 1944 was when the Gallup poll first asked the question of Americans, does God exist? 1944, 96% of Americans. War is raging across the world, uh, in Europe and in the Pacific, and 96% of Americans said that they believed in God. Uh, 2% said that they did not, and 2% said they had no opinion. So 96% of Americans in 1944 believed in God. In 1967, again, war going on uh, in, in across the world, but in 1967, 98% of Americans said that they believed in God. Only 1% said they did not. 98% in 1967 said they believed in God. Fast forward about another four decades, uh, four and a half decades to 2011. The Gallup poll once again asked the question, do you believe in God? Only they asked it in a different way. They asked, do you believe in God or a universal spirit? 92% said that they believed in God or a universal spirit. So that's a decline of 6% in less than 50 years. A decline of uh, 6% in 50 years. 92% said they believed in God or a universal spirit. 7% said they did not. 90% of men in 2011 said they believed in God or a universal spirit. 94% of women said that they believed in God or a universal spirit. Um, there's some other interesting statistics uh, specifically about the millennial generation. The millennials are those between the ages of 18 and 29. They don't believe in God very much. Not like adults. Uh, and uh, 94% of those people, of adults over the age of 30, 94% of adults over the age of 30 said that they believe in God or a universal spirit. Um, 84% of adults between the ages of 18 and 29 said they believe in God or a universal spirit. 84% under the age of 30. Um, when asked the difference between do you believe in God or a universal spirit. In 2010, 80% said that they believe in God, while 12% said they believe in a universal spirit. 6% said they don't believe in, it, in either. So that 92% said they believe in God, only 80% said they actually believe in God, while 12% said they believe in a universal spirit. Uh, when asked uh, about the confidence of their faith, this is what Americans said. 73% said they were convinced that God exists. 14% said there was little doubt. 
that God exists. 5% expressed a lot of doubt that God exists. 4% said he probably does not exist. And 3% said they're absolutely certain that God does not exist. So, what does all this mean? What does all this mean, that this, this belief in God or this disbelief in God, this theism or this atheism? I'll tell you what I think it means. To go from 96% in, in, in 1944 to 92% in 2007, to know that 84% of young adults do not believe in God, uh, 84% believe in God, that 16% of young adults don't believe in God. That's to me, is kind of scary. Um, but uh, in, 19, in 2007, the Pew Research uh, Group did a study, and they said that for Americans under the age of 30, uh, in 2007, 83% said they did not doubt the existence of God. But in the 2012 study, that number dropped to 68%. So in 2012, in five years, between ages of 18 and 29, in five years, the number went from 83% believed in God to 68%. So now, sitting here in 2000, the very beginning of 2014, roughly less than 70% of young adults, 18 to 29, believe that God exists. That, to me, is very scary. And it means that we're losing. It means we're no longer the home team. It means we're losing. We're losing an entire generation. And the next generation behind it is going to have even less faith in God. We need to do something about it. But what? That's what we're going to deal with over the next several weeks. We're starting a new study today called The Rise and Fall of Us All. The rise and fall of us all. And we are studying Genesis chapters 1 through 3 here at the beginning of 2014. I thought, uh, I, I thought to myself, you know, what better way to start off the year than going all the way back to the beginning? I asked some people, what do you think, should we, what do you think we should study? And they, uh, they said, well, you know, given our vision and what we want to do, I think this would be a great place to start. would be right here at the very beginning. So we are going to talk about uh, things like creation. Next week, we're going to get into the creation account. We're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about God's design for marriage. We're going to talk about the fall and how uh, humanity fell from, from grace and, and how we fell in, in the garden. So we're going to talk about all these different things. We're going to talk about suffering. We're going to talk about evil and how there's evil in the world. So we're going to talk about all these different things over the next several weeks. But today we're going to talk about the existence of God and the impact of believing in God in our lives. And this is a message I've, ta I've titled, There is a God. That's a phrase that we kind of use a lot, you know, something surprising happens, something unexpected. There is a God. And we kind of use it flippantly. But I truly believe that there is a God. And not just any God, but I believe that the 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 God I believe in is the, the God revealed in Scripture. That the one true God of Scripture is the God that I believe in. So we are talking about God's existence today and that what that means for us. Uh, at the end of this message, I'm going to give you a couple of tools that you can use uh, to not only reinforce your own belief, your own faith in God, but that you can also use to help defend your faith. So that when others say to you, why should I believe that God exists? I'm going to give you a couple of tools that you can use uh, to try to reinforce your own faith. Um, so if you'll grab your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. 
We're going to look at the first two verses of the Bible, and that's it. That's where we're going to start today, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Also grab your bulletin, turn to the handy-dandy outline on page 3. And we are going to read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The first blank on your outline is, The Bible presumes that God exists. The Bible presumes that God exists. The Bible doesn't start out saying, this is why you should believe in God. The Bible doesn't start out saying, well, let's prove that God exists. The Bible presumes that God exists. The Bible just comes out right out and says it. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, God that at the very beginning of time and the beginning of history, God was there. That at the very beginning of creation, God already existed. God was already there. God was there at the very beginning of time and history. This creation account in Genesis is not just a mere retelling of what God has done or what God did in creation, but rather it was written to address the polytheistic um, ancient Mesopotamian religions and the ancient Mesopotamian religions uh, account of creation that their creation account in Babylon and Mesopotamia was much different than the account of Scripture. And so Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, wrote the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch or the Torah, and Moses was writing to counteract the uh, false uh, religions, the false beliefs of the false religions around them. So he's contact, co counteracting these ancient polytheistic Mesopotamian uh, the, uh, mythologies. The people around them, the people around the Israelites believed in many gods. They were polytheistic. Whereas we talk, we don't see too many polytheists in our world today, but rather we see a lot of atheists. A poly meaning many, atheist, a meaning none. Uh, atheism is the belief that God does not exist. Uh, just so you know, agnosticism, that's a word that's tossed around a lot. I'm, I don't. It's not that I'm an atheist. It's not that I'm a Christian, but I'm an agnostic. An agnostic is someone who just generally believes that there's not enough knowledge. There's not enough information to know whether or not God exists or whether or not God does not exist. Uh, and so an agnostic is somebody who will just say, I don't know. They kind of ride in the middle on the fence and say, I'm not sure. There may be a God, there may not. There's just not an, enough information to know either way. So an, an atheist is on one side of the fence, says, nope, there is no God. A theist, uh, specifically uh, like a Christian theist, would be on the other side of the fence and said, yes, there is a God who exists, has expectations for my life. An agnostic is kind of right in the middle, says, mm, I don't know, one way or the other, not really sure. Uh, so that's just a little information uh, for you on what those three, those are the three prevailing views, I think, of God in our world today. Um, but God, uh, we see in Scripture, in Genesis 1, that God has always, always existed. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, we see, again, a counteraction of the polytheistic religions around uh, the people of Israel. And in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Moses wrote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They believed in one God, not in many gods. So they were not polytheists, they were not atheists, not believing that God didn't exist, but they were theists, monotheists, meaning one, that there was one God. Um, so God was not created 
by any person. He was not created by anything. He was not created by anyone. He has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, from before time began. He has eternally existed. He has no beginning. He has no end. And God is eternal. Uh, he is not a creation of our imagination. He is not a creation of, of humanity's imagination. It's not like, oh, I think I'm going to believe in a God. I'm going to try and get two billion people else to believe in God as well. No, God is not a creation of anyone, anything, or our imaginations. God has always, always, always existed. This is confirmed and expounded upon in the New Testament in John chapter 1. Excuse me, verses 1 and 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the Word refers to Jesus Christ, that Jesus uh, exists eternally, that He was with God in the beginning. And by the beginning, we mean the beginning of creation, the beginning of history, the beginning of time, that at the very beginning, God existed, God was there, Jesus was there. Uh, the Bible later says uh, in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Uh, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That Jesus was there at creation, and he has existed eternally. He has always been there. There was never a time when God was not. There was never a time when Jesus was not. There was never a time when the Holy Spirit was not. That in creation, we see all three persons of the Trinity. Okay, Jesus Christ was with God in the beginning. One of the ways that we can know that God exists is our own existence. The universe is evidence of God's existence. Science has yet to prove that the universe is eternal. That the, the, they have yet to prove the eternal existence of the universe's nature. Uh, it has caused, uh, it has a cause the, the universe has a cause. Uh, God, as revealed in the Bible, is the best explanation for the existence of the universe. There's a guy who I, I have uh, listened to before, and I've read some of his stuff. His name is William Lane Craig. He is a, a Ph.D., and he's a Christian theologian and a scholar. And he, he tells a, an illustration of about how we can know that the existence of the universe proves God, God's existence. He says, imagine that you and a friend are hiking in the woods. So me and Brandon go hiking in the woods one day. I'm not a hiker. He's not a hiker. But for the purpose of this illustration, we're hiking. So we're hiking through the woods one day, and we see a ball. Okay, And we come across this ball, and there's a ball in the woods. It's like one of us starts to go, why is the ball there? How did the ball get there? Where did the ball come from? And so I'm asking all these questions. What, where did this ball come from? And Brandon says, forget about it. It just exists. Let's go. Now, knowing my friend like I do, he just wants to get moving to wherever we're going, probably somewhere to eat. But uh, so we're going somewhere to eat, and he doesn't want to, he's not concerned with the ball. He just knows that the ball exists. That's all that matters. That's, that's a way of looking at the universe and saying, because if you take that ball and multiply it infinitely, you get the size of our universe. And there are people who want to say, look, it doesn't matter how the universe got here. They just believe that the universe exists, that it's always existed. But just like that ball, it had to come from somewhere. It had to come from someone or something. The ball just didn't pop into existence in the middle of the woods. Somebody put the ball there. Somebody put the universe here. 
that the universe has a cause. It has a creator that the universe's existence itself is proof of God's existence. That something, a, a, a personal, loving, benevolent creator put this all here. When you think about just how this world works, okay? That we do not live in a world of chaos. The Genesis 1-2 tells us that there once was chaos, that the, the earth was formless and void. Uh, it's uh, tohu and bohu. Those are Hebrew words, meaning it was chaotic. So there was all this chaos going on, and yet God spoke into being the universe. And all of a sudden, out of chaos came order. Out of nothing came everything. And so God created all of this around us, and he spoke it into existence. Just like the ball in the woods, he put the universe into existence. Just by speaking it into existence. So God brings about all of this all around us. Um, and it... To believe that there is a loving, intelligent, creative God who is revealed in Scripture as being loving, intelligent, and creative, it makes the most sense that God chose to create everything around us, as it says in Genesis chapter 1. He is not an impersonal force, but rather he is a personal God, and he wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants to have a relationship with me. That's why he sent his son Jesus. Because we couldn't have a relationship with God because of our sinfulness. And so God sent Jesus to take away our sins. And when he died on the cross, he died for our sins. And now if we will believe and repent and confess and be baptized like we talked about last week, if we'll put our faith and trust in Jesus, our sins will be forgiven and we can have a relationship with God. This eternal, loving, creative, personal God who wants to have a relationship with us. And this is the God who is revealed in the Bible, in Scripture. And I believe that by looking at the universe and the world around us, I believe that by reading Scripture, we can see that, yes, there is a God who exists and that He is personal and that He is loving and that He is creative. And I believe that we can see that that God truly does exist. And like I said, I'm going to give you a couple more tools at the end that will help you also in... uh, understanding God's existence and and why God exists but rather than just doing an apologetic sermon on God's existence I want to talk about the meaning of God's existence because I don't think that we can look and say well yeah there's a God and just casually walk away from that statement I don't believe that we can just say yeah I believe that God exists and then live however we want Because if there is a God who created us, if there is a God who made us, and I believe that there is, then I believe that he has expectations. I have a child, many of you have children, and I have expectations of my child. I have expectations for the way he should live. Why? Because I made him. He's mine. I I gave him life. Well, I had a hand in it. But Shannon and I gave this child life. We have expectations for how he should behave. We have expectations for how he should live. Why? Because he's our child. And if there is a God who created us, then I believe that he has expectations for how we should live as well. So the next blank on your outline is, how should we live? Do we live as though God exists? Are we living as though God exists? Again, God has expectations. You know, an atheist who says, I don't believe in God, says, I don't care for his expectations. I don't care for his uh, commandments. Uh, 
They live without fear of judgment. They live without fear of one day having to give an account. They live without fear of the eternal consequences of their actions. And like I said earlier, agnostics believe neither that there is a God or there isn't a God. They kind of ride the fence and say that there's just not enough information. Again, they have no reason to change the way they live or to live in any certain way other than to please themselves because there's no one to whom they are going to give an account. Um, But Christians who believe that that God exists and that he sent his son Jesus to be our savior. The question we have to have, the question we have to ask is, how are we living uh, in light of our faith? What difference does our faith in God make in our lives on a regular basis? Are we just to be good people? Are we just to live moral lives? Or does God have an expectation of how we live because of his mere existence? In James chapter 2, verse 19, James is talking about uh, the faith of, of the people have and the importance of, of doing more than just saying, I believe. In James 2.19, he wrote, You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That even the demons believe that God exists. Even the demons believe that Jesus exists. The demons even believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The demons, when in the Gospels, when Jesus would go to cast demons out of different people or pigs or, or, or I'm sorry, cast them out of, de- out of people and put them into pigs, the demons would always recognize Jesus and say, what do you want with us, son of God? That the demons even believe that Jesus is the son of God. So is believing enough? No, there has to be more. Our belief has to fuel the way we live. Our belief has to change the way we live. Our faith has to change the way we live. It's one thing to say, I believe, but it's another thing to live it out. Uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle wrote a book called Christian Atheists, or The Christian Atheist. And it's all about this idea uh, that Christians who say they believe in God, but they don't live it out. It's, uh, the subtitle of the book is Believing in God, but Living as if He Doesn't Exist. That we can say, I believe in God, but if it doesn't change the way we live, then we may as well be atheists. Because there is nothing in us that, that, acknowledge, that, that changes the way we live. Christians who acknowledge Jesus on a Sunday, but don't live the rest of the week as though God exists, are Christian atheists. So are we living as though God exists? Do we live every day? Is Jesus making a difference in your life every day? Is God making an exist- a difference in your life every day? Is his existence in your life more than just something you do on a Sunday? Or is it just a Sunday-only experience? Do we live lives that honor God Monday through Saturday? Or is it just a couple hours on Sunday? I've got to put my church clothes on, so I better put my church self on. I better put my church life on. I better make sure I go to church and, and make it look like I got it all together and that I'm a, I'm a good guy and, or I'm a good girl. And Is Christianity, is our faith in God more than something that just we do on a Sunday morning? Or is it something we live it out through the week? Do we live lives that truly honor God in our behavior? So I think about like the Ten Commandments, okay? Those are the Old Testament, and we sometimes say, oh, those are the law, we're under grace. You know, I, I believe that there's, there's a, a, a reason that God gave his expectations to his people in the Old Testament, and those things still uh, are, are important for us today. You know, living lives of honesty and not deceitfulness, but in the Ten Commandments say, do not bear false witness, don't lie. 
that I think that's important that we not lie, that we be honest. I think it's important that we not steal. And whether that's stealing from you know, a store or stealing from another person or stealing time at work, you know, it's important that we do not steal. Uh, it's important that we do not murder. That, that's, a, that's an important one, you know. Or even beyond that, even thinking murderous thoughts or, or being filled with rage and anger. Uh, that rather than being filled with those murderous thoughts, we should be filled with unconditional love for other people. Sexual immorality, we should not be living lives of sexual immorality. Committing adultery is what it says in the Ten Commandments, but in the New Testament it talks about uh, committing sexual immorality, which is any kind of sexual behavior outside of a heterosexual marriage relationship. Um, Do we honor God in our worship? Do we honor God when we come to worship? Or is it all about us? Is it all about what we want? Is it all about what makes us feel good? The Bible says that we're to have no other gods before him. That includes gods that are green, not just gods of gold and silver. We think of idolatry as something that the Old Testament people did, you know, that they bowed down and worshipped a golden calf. We don't worship golden calves. We worship green presidents. We don't worship uh, idols of silver. We worship telephones and technology, Right? You know, I mean, we put other gods before God. We worship the gadgets and the stuff and the dollars, and I'm just as guilty as anyone. Do we honor God with our time? Do we use our time as though God exists? Are we spending time in worship? Are we spending time in study? Are we spending time in prayer and fellowship? Are we honoring God with our finances? Are we giving to God's kingdom on a regular basis? Are we tithing to kingdom work? Are we being fiscally responsible and good stewards of the blessings with, God, with which God has given us? Are we trusting God as a church? Are we being fiscally responsible and being good stewards as a church? That's something that we have to do. That we have to, if God exists, he has expectations, and the expectations of his church is that we would be good stewards. What about in our relationships? Are we living lives that honor God in our relationships? Maybe a relationship with your spouse. Are you honoring God in the relationship you have with your spouse or with your children or with your siblings or with your friends? Are you raising your kids to know Jesus? Are you showing unconditional love to your spouse? Do you pray for your spouse? Do you pray for your kids? Are you honoring God by praying for your children and praying for your spouse? That is a great way to honor God and to show that, yes, I believe that God exists and I'm going to pray for my spouse. I'm going to pray for my children. Are we honoring God with our friendships, with our relationships outside of our family? Or do we gossip and do we stab each other in the back? Are we helping uh, other people to know who Jesus is? Are we helping to make more disciples, people who don't know Jesus, bringing them to know Jesus? Are we helping to make better disciples by people who in our lives, in our sphere of influence, don't know Jesus very well, but we want to help them know him better? You know, living as though God exists is a completely different thing than just saying, I believe that God exists. Believing it is one thing, living it is another. And I believe that we are called to do more than just believe in God. We are called to live as though he exists every day. I promised you two resources, okay? Here they are. Two resources to help you uh, in your defending of your faith and, and, in, and in, your, uh, if, in moments of doubt. These are two great places to go. The first is 
reasonablefaith.org. That is the guy I was talking about, William Lane Craig. That is his website. Uh, there's a lot of scholarly articles on there, but there's also a lot of layman's articles. There's a lot of stuff on there that you can learn about different areas of apologetics and different areas of defending your faith. So it's www.reasonablefaith.org. And then the other one is Lee Strobel's book, The Case for a Creator. And it's a, it's a book that you can get for less than six bucks on Amazon. You can order a paperback copy on Amazon for less than six bucks. If you have a Kindle or some kind of tablet with a Kindle app on it, you can get it for less than five bucks. Five bucks, uh, it's like $4.73 for the case for a creator on Amazon.com. And you can pick up these two resources and they can help you. Like I said, if you are struggling with your own doubts, struggling with other people's doubts, they can help you defend your faith. My challenge to you today is don't just believe in God, but live as though God exists every day. Don't just say, I believe, live those words, I believe in God. Live lives of character. Live lives of integrity. Live lives, let us live lives of honor. Let us honor God with our faith. Not just saying I believe, but living I believe. I have a quote that I want to show you, and this is where we're going to end right here, with this quote from uh, author Brennan Manning. He says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That, that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Let us not only believe that there is a God, but let us live like there is a God.